morning. Lord is good, amen? And he is good what? All the time. So we are continuing our series in Epiphany, Jesus Revealed, and we're looking uh, at the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And for each of these statements, he uses metaphors, which is taking something we know kind of to explain something that's harder to understand or that we don't know. And uh, Pastor Tim explained it really well last week. In fact, I encourage you, if you did not hear uh, his sermon on uh, Jesus as the bread of life, to go back and to hear that. So today we're going to be looking at John's gospel, the second statement in chapter 8. Jesus has kind of been doing some radical things, not really gaining popularity with the uh, religious leaders of the times, just, you know, forgiving the woman caught in adultery, which was like a... um, And then in verse uh, 12 of chapter uh, 8, it says this, When Jesus spoke again to the people... He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is the word of the living God. Amen? Amen? Please bow in a word of prayer with me. Gracious and holy God, we lift up the eyes of our hearts during the next moments that your, your light would shine in that it would be a time that illuminates, a time where uh, we fall more and more in love with you and realize more and more how much you love us, that we would indeed know that you are worthy, follow you as the one who is worthy, and glorify your holy name in this fellowship and in the world. Amen and amen. So Jesus uh, uses the metaphor of light. Our biggest physical light and source of life in this world is what? It's our sun. Now, again, I just want to clarify, Jesus, God actually made the sun, set it in place, and knows it by name. But for us, man, we are really dependent on this sun. In fact, if it disappeared, it would take us eight and a half minutes to even realize that it was gone, or if it just darkened. Physically, nothing is more important to life on earth than the sun. Without the sun's heat and light, the earth would become a lifeless ball of ice-coated rock. And I will tell you, my husband would be very unhappy at this. He was watching one of the football games, I don't know which one yesterday, but it was cold. It was somewhere, I don't know, in a cold place in, in America. And he kept saying, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful I'm not there. Oh my goodness, I'm so thankful I'm not there. And in fact, when we ate dinner, that night, and he was uh, thanking the Lord for our food. He thanked the Lord for our food, and then he said, and thank you we don't, that we live here and we have this nice weather. <laughs> so, you know, if, if we lost this son, my husband, uh, for more than eight and a half minutes, would be very, very unhappy. With the sun, we have photosynthesis on our planet. Uh, that would stop all plants, animals, animals dependent on plants and other animals would cease to exist. And there would be no more sunrises, no more sunsets. And on the upside, there would be no need for sunscreen. (laughs) Jesus uses physical light to help us understand that without the light of the world, Jesus Christ, 
we will die in our sins. Eternally, we will die apart from the living God. But, but like this eight and a half minutes, if, if the sun were to cease to exist or go dark, there'd be eight and a half mo- minutes where we just wouldn't even know. So many live in that place where they don't know the truth. They live in darkness. The light of the world, Jesus, desires to open the eyes of those blinded, walking in darkness to the true light, Jesus Christ, that has come into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. That means that everybody in the world needs Jesus. There is not one person we meet, no matter how well put together they are, no matter how well their life seems to be going, no matter how much they own or how successful they are or not, there's not one person we meet who doesn't need the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And we are to follow this living God. This is not just a head knowledge following. This is not just like, oh yeah, I'm giving intellectual assent that there is a God. Yeah, 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 I believe in a God. Well, you know what it says in James? Even the demons believe and tremble. They know there's a God, but they don't follow him. They do not worship him. Following here is not like just reading the scripture or knowing the scripture so you know, we can win around on jeopardy or trivial pursuit. But this idea of following is realizing that he is worthy. He is everything. His beauty is beyond anything that this world offers. Everybody follows something. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me, not just merely believe that I exist. He is to be our everything. And then this promise is dependent on following. He says, we will never walk in darkness, but those who never walk in darkness, it's tied to following. Never walk in darkness, no longer blinded by the darkness, no no longer the stranglehold of sin, Satan and death. As John Newton wrote in Amazing Grace, I was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. I, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of the, the guy who, um, there was a church and a pastor, they were down baptizing at the river and this, this guy stumbles upon them and, and the pastor says, hey, do you want to find Jesus? And the guy goes, sure. And so he comes down and, and the pastor dunks him under the water and brings him back up and says, did you find Jesus? And the guy goes, no. And he does it like, the pastor does it like three, four times. Finally, you know, comes back up and, and he says it again. Did you find Jesus? And the guy says, are you sure this is where you lost him? <laughs> okay, maybe we won't use that in the second service. I was blind. I was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see He is the light of life. This is the assurance of eternal salvation, but also it is the assurance of a living, growing, dynamic, vital, life-giving relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords right now. It's not just about a by and by down the road, but being in relationship with the light of the world right now. Now, Jesus makes this claim at the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, and that's when people would gather in Jerusalem and they would light, you know, like 75-foot chandeliers and menorahs with, with you know, with big bowls and, and, and oil, and they would light it, and the light would, 
you know, go throughout Jerusalem. And it was to remind the people of how God had delivered them from the darkness of slavery in Egypt, freed them, and was bringing them into the promised land. And how the pillar of fire went with them to lead them and guide them and protect them and did not leave them the whole time. And so, and at the end, they would extinguish the lights representing the fact that the Messiah had not come yet. And in the midst of all this, Jesus Christ stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He is proclaiming who he is. Amen. So epiphany, another word for epiphany is aha. So we're going to look at a couple of epiphany, a couple of aha moments that we can take hold of from the truths of this holy word that we've just read. And the first aha moment, the first epiphany is this. The light of the world is God. The light of the world is God. Jesus is saying very clearly, I am I am the light of the world. Exodus 3.14, when God calls Moses to lead his people, God reveals himself as Jehovah, as Yahweh. I am that I am. When Moses said, well, well, what do I tell people if they ask me, you know, "Ah." he goes, tell them I am. I am that I am. I will be who I will be. I am sent. You see, when Jesus says I am, he's saying, I am. This is what you shall say. I am has sent you. And it's at the beginning of John. You know, John uses a lot of metaphors of light and life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, Jesus has no identity problem here. He is saying, I am the light of the world. I am God. I am pre-existent, creator, not created. This I am means he is eternal in his self-existence. He is unchangeable in his being and character, faithful to all his promises. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God. When Jesus stands in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacle, he says, I am Jehovah Yahweh. I am God. The second aha moment, the second epiphany, is Jesus clearly delineates light from darkness. There is light and there is darkness. And we're going to see there's also a choice of what we follow. Now, this light and this darkness, of course, Jesus is talking about is spiritual. Uh, that, that Jesus is talking about the light and the darkness. And the scripture is filled with metaphors of light and darkness. Light represents righteousness, holiness, truth, purity, pure goodness, knowledge, growth, purpose, wisdom, grace, hope, God's revelation. It represents dispelling the darkness. Darkness, by contrast, has been associated with evil, sin, and despair, stumbling, falling, fears, deception. I mean, I always say, where do cockroaches live? in the dark, and I'm pretty sure rats are nocturnal too, so I mean, do I have to say more? Satan is the prince of darkness, opposition to the life, light, spiritual blindness, wickedness. 1 John 1.5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. As Mike pointed out, we celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday. He was a preacher, 
And you've probably heard his famous quote that said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. He is talking about the scripture and, and shining in the world. If you are in a dark room and turn on the light, it dispels the darkness. If you are in a light room, you don't bring in the darkness. Darkness does not dispel light. You have to turn off the light. You have to decide to leave the light. You have to decide never to go into the light. You have to decide to make decisions and live a, a life that is in darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. And Jesus talks, when he talks about light and darkness, he is really talking about comparisons and choice. Jesus differentiates between those who believe and follow and those who choose to stay in spiritual darkness. So following this incredible radical proclamation that he says that I am the light of the world, there uh, from verse 13 down to 30, he is being challenged. I mean, it even says, they challenged Jesus. So these are the, the Pharisees, these are the uh, teachers of the law, these are people who, you know, just legalistic, and they don't want to accept. But I, you have to understand this when Jesus talks to them. They would have known that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that he is pointing back to Exodus, I am. He, that he is pointing back to Exodus, where he is the pillar of light leading his people. But they question him, they challenge him. They basically say, what authority do you have? You're just talking about yourself. You know, why should we believe you? <laughs> and Jesus says, well, in your own law, two witnesses can stand up and gosh, there's me and there's the Father. I say nothing apart from the Father. See, Jesus speaks from God, for God, and as God. But in their pride and arrogance and darkness, they don't recognize Jesus as worthy to follow. And at one point, Jesus says, you don't know the Father. You don't know me. You don't know the Father. He says that their judgments are worldly and not of the light. They are in that eight and a half minutes where they don't realize that ultimately it will come to an end in darkness if you don't turn to the light. And that is what we see in this gospel. Jesus is very clear, and a lot of people aren't going to really want to hear this, but it says in verse 21, once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your, for me and you will die in your sin. For where I go, you cannot come. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you, oh gosh, this is so tragic. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. So Jesus is pretty darn clear here. He's giving a warning of eternal darkness. He is giving a warning of hell and he is giving a word of hope says, if you persist in this darkness, if you persist in not turning to the truth, you will die eternally separated from the light of life unless, unless you believe and follow. Not too late for any of them. And in fact, in, in, in verse 30, it says, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. But I want to tell you something. If we want to stay in the darkness, if we do not want to submit our life 
to the great I am, who is the light of the world, we will always have something to challenge that truth. We will, that truth. We will always have an argument to make. We will always have an excuse, a justification, or we can just ignore the fact that we are walking in the darkness because, you know, there's so many things in this world to distract us and keep us from thinking about our spiritual life. And if, if indeed Jesus is worthy, there's so many actually good things to distract us. Jesus is very clear on this side of eternity, people, we have to choose. You know, in Hebrews it says, every single one of us die once and then we face judgment. And we have a choice on this side of eternity to either submit our lives to the light of life or to continue to walk in darkness as though we're in control and, and bow down to ourselves and our own desires. But we will all stand before the judgment seat of God Christ and give an account. And we will either meet a judge, holy judge, or a holy judge who has forgiven us of our sins and sees us not with the darkness and depravity of our sin, but through the righteousness of his robes, of his forgiveness. Such a choice we make on this side of eternity. Tim Keller said this, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then you'll feel significant and secure. And see, in the darkness, that eight and a half minutes of, of not realizing <laughs> we're walking in darkness, we think that there's other things. And God in his goodness blesses us with so many things, but we have to be very careful that they do not become what we proclaim as worthy. If choice is made, you know, Jesus said to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he says to her, do you believe this? <laughs> you know, who do you say I am? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. See, the, all of us. And yet it's a good thing. Good, good, good. The third epiphany, the third aha moment is the light of the world lights our path. Psalm 119.105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, that, that the word of God as we open it gives us enough light to take a step. And again, we're not just physical, we're talking about spiritual here, what, to make that next decision. And I want to challenge us then with um, that, that the, the light shines, illuminates our day at the very beginning. You know, there's nothing legalistic about this. You're a better Christian if you read your Bible in the morning. That's not it at all. But there is the idea that what we start with, you know, really affects us throughout the day. I have a confession here. I am a news junkie. And you know, I used to read the San Gabriel Tribune, which by the time we canceled our subscription was like the size of a postage stamp. But now, you know, the internet, I mean, there's no absence of news stories. I mean, and if I start my day reading, I, first of all, I waste the day. I waste my morning. Time gets away from me. But the second thing is it affects the way I act and live life. 
and deal with things. But if I start first with the Word of God, if, so what I like to do, I get up early, it's dark, and I get my coffee. Okay, Jesus is first, but so is coffee. And I get my coffee, go down into our family room. I, I write three things I'm thankful for. And I, I'm not used putting myself up as an example because I struggle with this. I would rather read the news when I get up, my coffee and the news. But I know for me that that is, you know, stepping in. A, and then I do a little time of silence and ask the Lord to shine his light in and then read the scripture. And I've been reading Philippians. So let me just give you an example. It says this in verse 1, verse 27. So I was reading it one morning and asking, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I prayed that God would help me to do that. And as I walked throughout the day, do you know some of the things I realized? Sometimes I wasn't conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the the word alive, when we open our name, we begin, and, and we have this light, then it begins to show us the truth in lots and lots of areas. And later on, it also says, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider, you, you know, you read that, and then you go and you deal with people, and it's like, oh my goodness, Lord, help me, because this is not my natural go-to attitude. And see, this has implications for us as a church, as a fellowship, as a people in relationship. We are a covenant body. How we treat one another, even the idea of worship. You know, people are thinking, oh my goodness, is the church done with because of COVID? No. Jesus said, upon this rock, I build my church and the very gates of hell shall not come against it. Amen? Amen? But obviously people are starting to get out of the habit. And do I really need to go to church? Well, here's what the scripture says in Hebrews. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And all the more so as the days are dark. It has implications for our corporate worship, our prayer, when we meet together and we make decisions and people disagree with us and that we begin our day with the Word of God. And let me show you this slide, COPS, just a way to do it because to interact, the the Word of God is living and active when we don't just read it for knowledge or, you know, to do a nice little calligraphy, you know, picture for our wall. So COPS. So as you read the scripture, you're going to say, okay, is there a command for me to, to, to follow? Well, in this passage, uh, yes, it says, those who follow me. So we are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Observation. Well, in the passage, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. <laughs> That's something I can observe about Jesus when I read that passage. He is the light of the world. Is there a promise? Yes. Those who follow Jesus will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's a promise. Is there a sin for me to confess? Lord, show me where I have been choosing darkness over you. Well, that's just a, I keep that, I always keep that in the back of my mind because sometimes I read, you know, a passage of scripture and I get done, I'm like, what did it just say? (laughs) You know what? This helps us interact. The, the second thing under um, the, the, the word of God, the, the truth of the light of God illuminates our path is that we should filter everything through the word of God. It is the Berean principle. The Apostle Paul says this in Acts 17. The Bereans were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they heard what the Apostle Paul said and then they went to the word to see if what he said was true. So, we, so let me give you an example. 
when I was still preaching, at, uh, I was pastor at First Press Covina for 16 years. When I was still preaching, we, um, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, a bestseller, uh, came out, and then they made a movie with Tom Hanks, one of my favorites. And so the thing is, is I thought the book was good, the movie was good, but there were some claims that Dan Brown was making in the books that, you know, really were, uh, were against what Scripture says about Jesus. So I thought, oh, how fun, let's do a six-week series. And, you know, I'm not going to argue about the book so much as teach about the light, the Word of God. And so we'd encourage people to bring friends. So at our first service, it was held in the um, fellowship hall. It was pretty full. And before the service, I had put a copy of the Da Vinci Code on the pulpit. And then I, you know, was sitting down worshiping. And then when I stood up to come up to the pulpit, I had my Bible, I put my Bible down, And you know what happened? I kid you not. The Da Vinci Code fell flat to the ground. (laughs) Trust me, I I mean, there were, you know, a lot of people in that room that saw it. I mean, and, and there was no earthquake. I didn't knock it. I didn't wiggle it. I mean, I couldn't make it happen. I literally put the Bible on the pulpit and the book fell. And it was like, Okay, who needs a sermon? Go home. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. But we're to filter everything, our behavior, our attitude, how we spend our money, who we choose to marry, or how we treat people, everything. Worshiping or not worshiping. Spending time in the Word or not. Everything we filter through the Word of God. Amen? Paul Tripp said this, You are not wired to live an independent, self-sufficient life, but to live in restful dependence on a God of power and grace. Everything God made is designed to confront us with his existence. Every morning when we get up, we bump into God and come face to face with his presence. Everything good and beautiful we see, touch, taste, smell, experience is a finger that points to the glory of God. Although our conscience and God's creation display his goodness, wisdom, and power, and therefore leave us without excuse, their message is not enough to give us the knowledge of God and his will, which is necessary for salvation. And so he gave us the amazing gift of his holy word. 66 books of the Bible, a love letter, everything we need for faith and practice. And then finally, the fourth epiphany, the fourth aha, the light of the world, guides and protects his people. Over in Exodus, where God's people had been delivered from slavery and were out wandering in the desert, which, you know, they did for 40 years and 40 nights, it says, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in the darkness, where, where, you know, you stumble and you fall and you don't know what you're going to, what animal is there, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Even when at times they turned and questioned him, he was still with them. They know he never left them. Jesus never leaves He is a light that guides us and protects us. I mean, do you have this hope? Have you given your life over to the light of life that you may never walk in darkness again, even when your situation is dark? You know, in the last years of their life, my parents sold their home in Northern California and moved down um, to San Dimas to be near my family and 
In the last year, year and a half of his life, my father was kind of in and out of the hospital and Via Verde and um, Casa Clean and finally um, Arcadia Methodist. And when I would go there, you know, every day, I would bring my Bible and, you know, he knew he was closer than most of us he knew. And he would say to me, always shorten my name Andrea to Anne, and he said, Anne, I need you to read me one of those psalms. Anne, I need me one of those psalms. Or just open the word and read. And there would come this, this peace because the pillar of light, the living God, the light of the world, had not left him nor forsaken him. Didn't change his circumstances, doesn't change ours. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom or what shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom or what shall I be afraid? And the answer is nothing. Elizabeth Elliot said, the only thing that keeps me stable and settled in these days of uncertainty is the absolute dependability of the word of God. He is the light of the world. And by his grace and empowered by his Holy Spirit, as we follow him in obedience, we will never walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. That's something to bank your hope upon. Would you bow in a word of prayer with me, please? Gracious Lord, thank you that, gosh, your word, it will penetrate um, those areas of our life where we are um, hiding from you, that we just don't want you to shine your light in. But remind us, oh God, that you are a good, good God. You are loving. You only desire our best. I mean, you went up to the cross for us. Mm. So God, as uh, we walk this world with all its unknowns, with all of its challenges, help us be people of the light. God, help us to shine our light uh, in this fellowship and in this world that others might know you. And God, if there's anybody who's not quite sure, God, tap on their heart. Thank you that you pursue us. We just bless your holy name. May the holy light of your truth shine in each one of our hearts through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the light of the world. Amen.